So today we are in the book of First John. Oh, not working. There it is. Today we are in the book of First John, which is one of the last New Testament books that was written by the oldest man on record in the New Testament. A really interesting guy, the Apostle John, and the disciple who described himself as the disciple Jesus loved. So someone who deeply knew the love of the Father for him. John had previously written the Gospel of John, which has his name on it, and also the book of Revelation earlier in his life. But these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, were written probably when he was much older, maybe even in his 80s or 90s. He was the only person that was living at the time who had walked with Jesus physically as, as a disciple. And so it's, with that in mind, these are the words of, of a wise man. If you think about it, someone who walked with Jesus when he was uh, in the flesh and then received the Holy Spirit and continued to walk with Jesus as the church was birthed. And he, he's one of the people that got to see, like the Apostle Paul, how the church responded to difficulties and things that came up. And so he's just someone w with a great deal of wisdom. And uh, I think it would do us well to listen to him and see what he has to say. So we're going to kind of do a, a uh, overview of the book of First John. It's a message that has been shared many times by many different people. But everyone that comments on this book notes its theme and what it's trying to say. Uh, and and uh, it's an amazing message for us today. So in First John 5.13... Uh, the purpose of the book is, is written. And John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Which do you prefer in life, certainty or uncertainty? What's your favorite? So many things in our lives are uncertain by design, and we have to trust God with them. Like, something happens and we say, what are we going to do? And we pray and we seek God for wisdom. That's well and good. That's life. There's uncertainties. We deal with them as Christ followers. But when the Bible says that we can be certain of our salvation in Christ, that's something the Bible is saying, this doesn't have to be one of those things. This doesn't have to be one of those things that you worry about and wring your hands over. This is something you can know. And I think that's just something that we should know. I, I think that um, if you ask the person, do you know for sure that you're saved, that you're with the Lord? There are some Christian people out there who are followers of Jesus who would say, I'm not sure. I worry about that. I talk to many of them. I used to worry about that. And it's not necessary that they worry. On the flip side, uh, a, a talk like this from First John, when, when he talks about the ways you can know and be assured of your salvation— you're all, for someone that isn't actually saved and doesn't actually know the Lord, it's going to be something that kind of speaks to you as well. And maybe it's going to be the start of a new work of God in your life where you really do come to know him and you come to know Jesus Christ. So John writes this book so that um, those who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that they have eternal life with God, that they don't have to worry. I have never seen... Aside, I guess it's very interesting to think about, but the birth of my children was, was a beautiful thing, you know, that holding that baby for the first time. But equally, in a different way, of course, beautiful, is the death of a saint. The death of a sinner who's saved by grace. And I've, I've been to a bunch of those. I've been, I've been there when someone passed from this life into the next. 
And seeing how a person of faith handles that, seeing the peace that comes over them as they close their eyes and they seem to be alternately seeing the face of Christ uh, and, the, and, and, and their loved ones in the same moment. And they, there's this assurance in these people that have walked with God for a long time. His grace is enough. I'm in him. It's a beautiful thing. A sad thing, but a beautiful thing. I saw someone pass away a few years ago, uh, and as she was passing, the day she passed, she was speaking blessings on her family who were gathered in this hospital room. There was a lot of them, a big Italian family. And she was like the matriarch, and she was just blessing everybody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It was almost like an Old Testament blessing. And it was just an amazing thing. I've seen people on their, on their deathbed who are real believers in Christ. Um, they come to that moment, and they're, and they're sure of their salvation, so they're excited about that, but they, they have some unfinished business. They, they say, I need, I need to talk to this person. I need to make this right. It's interesting how that, how that goes. But there's nothing more amazing than someone who is just, just sure of God's gift for them at that time. And, uh, and, that's, a, and that's a beautiful thing. And this, this assurance is something that John says we can have. And he tells us how it can be. So let me ask you this question. Are you confident of the reality of your salvation in Jesus Christ? Asked asked another way, if you were to die today, would you know with certainty that you were safe, unashamed before God, and would have eternal life with him? This is a question to ask yourself. Because in the end, our opinions don't matter. What is tolerable to us in terms of belief doesn't really matter. In the end, only the truth matters. And, may, and maybe, uh, maybe we kind of live sometimes with alternate visions of the truth that are more palatable to us. But when we're, when we're gone, when we're dead, we're face-to-face with God, it's what we actually believe that matters and how we lived. For me, it's quite an awful thought to think that, you know, after I'm, I'm gone, um, thinking everything is, is fine, that it's not. It's equally sad to think that people would walk through life who are perfectly fine with so much anxiety. And first, John encourages us to self-test, to look at ourselves soberly, to self-test, and see if we are in the faith. And this will either assure us or perhaps poke holes and make us question. Maybe it'll get us started on a journey where we come to know God for real. That's really cool. So John, John Soper shared these tests in our, in our Mission 119 readings. They've been written in many commentaries in many different places. But the first test that John gives us to, to test for assurance in Christ is the truth test. He says in 1 John 2.22, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So what is this test asking us? It's saying that you cannot really call yourself a Christian or consider yourself a follower of Christ if you do not believe that Jesus is God. It's kind of a base level thing. It's, it's the basement level of your house. If you don't believe that Jesus is Lord and God, you can't, you, you can't call yourself a Christian. You aren't a Christian. It's, it's, it's a failure of that test if you can't say that. It's really as simple as that. It's, it's a foundational belief. And I think we would all agree that that's pretty foundational. The word Christ is in the word Christian. So um, it's a foundational belief. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, it says it a different way. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, 
except by the Spirit. So your belief and conviction that Jesus is God and that Jesus is Lord and that all he claimed about himself and all of his teachings are authoritative is a fundamental test of your faith. Are you a follower of Christ or are you not? I'll, I'll liken this to marriage. This is like the I do of your relationship with Christ if this were a marriage. And like marriage, it is intended for lifelong living out. You don't get married. <laughs> if you're successful at marriage, pro tip, you don't get married one day and then the next day not be faithful to your marriage and not grow in your marriage or find somebody else to marry. That's just tuck that away as, as wisdom. Some people have tried it. This is the I do of your relationship with Jesus Christ. I do believe that you are the Son of God, that you are God in the flesh, and that you are the way, and that you are the way to the Father. And just like a marriage, it's intended for lifelong walking out. We don't understand everything, but this one thing we understand, Jesus is God, his words are authoritative, his teachings are true, and we live in light of what he said. So that's the first foundational test we find in 1 John, the truth test. Is Jesus God in the flesh? The second test is the moral test. So this is a test of obedience. You can look at yourself. And uh, the, the verse we have here is, we know that we have come to know him, this is how we know and have assurance, if we keep his commands. So this is a test of obedience. Now, I'll liken this to marriage as well. This is where after your initial commitment, you say, I will be faithful to you, not cheat on you, and learn to follow and walk with you throughout my life. The commitment here is like marriage except for one thing. Uh, it's God that you are pledging yourself to. The person we are committing to is Jesus Christ. So this wholehearted commitment is to one who has all authority. 1 John 2.3 says, We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. If we obey God's word to us and we take it seriously in our lives and this journey we are on, we can have assurance that we have eternal life with God. If you care about something, you spend time trying to understand it and learning how to throw your energy into it. It's what we do. And if you care about something, you try to incorporate it into your lifestyle. This is a walk that we have. No one does it perfectly, but we're... You see the spirit of this. We're trying to follow God. We're trying to be obedient. We're trying to figure out what pleases the Lord. It's a big part of our life. People do it with football, for crying out loud. They, their whole schedule is around like when the games are on, and they, they buy the jerseys and the hats, and they, they, they talk about it around the water cooler. They do it with football. People do it with various academic and career disciplines. It's people that, that, that put their whole life around doing their doing their discipline of choice academically. Jackie and I are going to a, a reenacting thing in Schuylerville today. There's people that make their whole life about reenacting. Like, you're a gas station attendant during the week, and then, like, you're the general of, like, Washington's army, you know, on the weekend. It's like their whole life is, is kind, it's kind of like a giant cosplay convention. And I know because I used to do fife and drums, so I was part of that. Kind of crazy. Um, people throw their life into it. Um, people that play video games. They throw their life and their time into video games. And there are people that have died in Japan from playing video games and neglecting to eat and drink. They fall over dead. Oh, that's a true story. Look it up. And maybe some of you are, are close. I don't know. You're here. I don't see you. There's some people that usually this church is full. 
but I see there's avatars and different chairs. People are virtually here. But um, the point is, the moral test. The moral test is we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. If it's important to us, if we're, if we're marrying our life and saying Jesus is God, his words are authoritative, his commands are right, even if we don't fully understand everything, our heart is inclined to want to obey him. And we'll find out what pleases him and we'll try to obey him. And uh, we, we need to put at least as much effort into that to call ourselves a Christian as we do into fantasy football, I think. That's what I think. Because it's very important. This is our soul, right? So knowing the Bible, understanding what God's will is, is one thing. You know, putting it into practice is another thing. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. I can put it um, in the negative here. There's, there's these interesting statements from 1 John chapter 1. He says, If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out of the truth. It's a very exclu- exclusive statement. If you claim to follow him, but you're not following him, you're walking, not just, not just dipping your toe into darkness, but you're walking in it without any concern, <laughs> then it's not true. You're not living out the truth. 1 John 1 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jesus Christ is the truth. So if you say, well, I'm, yeah, sin is a problem, but I'm not, I don't have sin. I'm a really good person. Um, the truth is not in you. And that's a scary thing. That's a test. You know, is Jesus in you? Well, if you claim you have no sin, then you're deceived. If we claim we have not sinned in 1 John 1.10, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Once again, these are the tests of faith. If we claim we have not sinned, we make out God to be a liar, because it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know just by looking at, a cursory look at, um, at God and, and the scripture and our lives, that things are not where they should be. We're out of alignment. So each statement here says that if this then that cannot be. If we claim to walk with Jesus, but, we, but really we're walking in sin without any concern about it, because, I mean, everybody sins. We're all in sin. And John, in his 90-year-old self, recognized that he was in sin. Everyone does. But if you just walk in it, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? It's questionable. In the marriage analogy, this would be like a flandering husband or wife cheating on their partner, keeping it a secret, and then continuing to pretend to be faithfully married to the person they're married to. Like their whole life. They got married secretly with tons and tons of other people. Um, and, and, and it's like they're living a lie, right? And maybe some of you have been in that. I don't know. It's very common. But just as in this very human and all-too-common situation, the truth comes out in the end. And the farce will be exposed by the light. Someone who is truly saved and in Christ can have assurance of faith um, and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and in the flesh um, if they believe uh, that they are, if their whole heart, not just a hobby, but if their heart is inclined towards wanting to know and obey what Jesus taught, you can know that you're saved. People that are usually concerned about losing their salvation are people that are Christians and they have anxiety about their salvation and they they think, you know, I'm worried that I'm saved or not saved. And I would say to that person, if you're concerned about your salvation, if you worry about it and you 
you wonder about it and you're trying to, you're trying to do everything you can to obey God, you have nothing to worry about. Your heart's in the right place. But we're talking about people that just kind of walk and they don't care what Jesus said and um, they just keep going <laughs> while claiming to be a Christian. And that's a scary place to be uh, because you can be deceived. You can be deceived and, they, and you're not actually benefiting at all from your relationship with Christ. Our, our district superintendent, David Lynn, pointed out yesterday in his ordination ceremony here that the amazing thing about Christ is he served the disciples to the point of washing their feet. And he said, you go and do likewise. Jesus ran, runs to serve people who are really following him. Jesus, God in the flesh, runs to support and serve those who are honestly following, following him. So if you're struggling with sin, if you're, if you're dabbling in sin, having trouble, everyone does. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. If, you, if your heart is inclined to obedience and following God, Jesus will come to your aid. He will help you. He will deliver you. Um, it's, it's amazing, amazing truth from the scriptures. The beautiful flip side of, the, of these scriptures here, and this is just beautiful truth to the person that wants to follow Jesus and is following Jesus. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no reason for anyone to be stuck in, in, in sin. Um, there is, if someone cares to honor God and follow him, that person, uh, all, they must, all they have to do is confess their sin and God is there to serve them, forgive them, it says another part of the scripture, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. You know, there's people who have been in very similar situations to your situation who will rise to the occasion to serve you and help you out of your, out of your, out of your sin. But if you are claiming to be a follower of Christ and you don't take the things that Jesus says seriously and you don't believe that you really have a sin problem at all, it's kind of like a double deception. You're sort of just walking uh, in, a, in an unreality. And, and John's concern here, as we said, is that we would know that we have eternal life in God. And this is the way we know. Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we believe, um, do we believe that obedience uh, is important, to be obedience to the Lord? The final test is the love test, which sounds like one of those things they have in the, in the bars where you put your hands on the... <laughs> We, we went, as a family, we went to uh, Mississippi, and Elias was, like, on that thing, and it's like, you, you're really warm. She's like, what's this? I'm like, just get away from it. It's an old, creepy machine. You've seen these things where it's like the love test where you grip the handles, and it's like, you're a really great guy. This is not like that, okay? If, if you don't know what that is, you're creeped out, and you think it's weird, but it is weird, and it is creepy. So uh, the love test, 1 John 2, 7 to 11, this is a pretty big uh, passage. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new, a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light, in God, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness 
has blinded them. If a person does not have love in their heart, and in fact, if you have hatred and bitterness continually in your heart towards other people, and you're not even in the process of trying to deal with it, but just living in it, walking in it, without an intention to change it, then according to John, you cannot have assurance of faith because a lack of love is evidenced um, a lack of genuine faith in Jesus Christ when someone holds hatred and bitterness in their heart towards another person. This is a dangerous territory area, and this is where the rubber meets the road. If you claim to love God, but you hate your brother or sister, whom God has made, you don't really love God. That's what it's saying. Now, that's not to say that these, this kind of reconciliation is not a process. You understand that this is process. Um, we, we work through forgiveness. We work through but the point is we're working. We're not living in it. We're not walking in it in darkness. So how can you know when you're a loving person? According to John, John frames it at the bare minimum as a lack of hatred for someone that God has made while claiming to be in the light with Christ. So no one who claims it's all good while hating others is a true believer. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So a true believer in Jesus, a true follower, keeps short accounts with sin and anger. Every day we sin, every day, we're, every day we deal with anger, right? For most people. But the true follower of Christ does not figuratively let the sun set when they're angry. Or doesn't let the sun set with a big list of offenses towards God that they've just held back and haven't even asked him for forgiveness. So they don't care. A true Christian is concerned about these things because it's about the heart. And they're concerned about their lack of love. And they work through to forgiveness. They work through to a place where they can love people uh, by blessing those who curse them and forgiving those who pierce them. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate example of this on the cross, God in the flesh. He, his, one of his final words was, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing to the people that were killing him. And he says, you go and do likewise. You serve. You forgive. I've forgiven you. Take some of that, that goodness that I've given you and, and pass that along and forgive others. This is a way that we can know that we are really in the faith. If we have love in our hearts, and the love is, is defined as not hating and despising and holding bitterness, but dealing with it, at least being in the process to deal with it. Maybe that takes working with a counselor. Maybe that takes sharing with a brother or sister in Christ. Whatever it takes, make it happen. Get it out of your heart. Because when that stuff is in your heart, it gives your life a vulnerability. And you can be destroyed by that. People are destroyed by it every day. So there's a difference between having a relationship with God through Christ and having assurance of that relationship. It's possible to be a Christian without being sure of the fact. And it's equally possible to be assured of being a Christian without actually having a relationship with God. It's God's intention, according to John, that we know for sure that we are God's children. And we know that by passing these three tests. Number one, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we commit our lives to him. Number two, we seek to understand and obey what he's taught us. It's for our good. It was given for us and for our good and for God's glory. And then third, that we have love in our hearts as defined by baseline, not hating people. And forgiving people, right? This is, this is important stuff. 
But if we are walking in this way, none of us have arrived, right? This is not a holier-than-thou, holy roller sermon. This is a, let's just acknowledge that we all fall short. But if, if our intention is to walk with God, we are always moving in the direction of um, following God. So if we, if we are having trouble doubting in our faith about something theologically, about Jesus being the Son of God, if we are in process trying to figure out what we believe about that, it's not like we're wiped off from God's book of Christianity, you know, the Lamb's book of life. We're trying to get to the truth. We're trying to get to the bottom of things. We're exploring theologically and trying to understand things that we can't wrap our heads around, but we're not throwing up our hands and giving up on God. We're walking. If we are failing in the obedience category where we know what God clearly wants us to do, but we, we decide we're going to do the opposite and that we're not going to care about it. The minute we stop confessing to God, I'm struggling, God. I can't control myself. I'm dealing with this issue that's recurring. I know. The minute we stop talking to him about it and it becomes just a part of our life that we compartmentalize, that's the, that's the minute that part of our soul just begins to die. So being in process means a lifelong battle of trying to obey by the power of the Spirit and the support of your community what God has clearly taught us. And there are people, there are authors that I really love and respect who have battled their whole lives with certain besetting sins and problems. But the key part, and and they, they died still battling those things or as a result of those things. But guess what? They were battling their whole life. And you know, I, have, I think that when someone gives up completely and says, you know what, I'm just going to walk in this, that's when you're in trouble. You've got to ask yourself, you know, am I really following Jesus anymore? Or am I kind of like in name only? And finally, love. Love is hard. Lots of songs about it. I can think of a lot of them. Love is hard because there's so many opportunities to become embittered and angry and hateful in this life. And the nicest people you know, they're so nice. They, they, they struggle with it, you know? They struggle with it. They, they, you find it anger and rage coming out in unexpected places. And, uh, and, and there's, there's an issue in your heart. The minute you give in to that rage and that anger and you say, this, I'm going to walk in this because I want to punish this person I'm angry at. I want to, I want to um, just kind of let, let myself simmer in this. The minute that you just give up and let yourself into that, that hatefulness, unforgiveness, anger, and you just say, this is where I'm, this is where I'm staying. That's the minute that part of your soul dies. That's the minute that love starts to, you find yourself just not loving very well. You find yourself having a hard time loving anybody because you just have so much anger in your heart. It's a, dangerous, it's a dangerous thing. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun set on it. So what does it mean? How do you know you're a real Christian? You're in process dealing with the anger. You're not just living in it. You're talking to God about it. You're maybe talking to a counselor about it. You're talking to someone at the church about it. But you're working it through. Really, the walk of faith is a walk of faith. It's not like we've, we've arrived. We're holy. We're done sinning. Everything's at peace. You know, we believe all the right theology. No, it's a walk. And the minute you stop walking in faith, um, it's questionable whether you're following God at all. So the Bible wants us to have assurance of faith. God wants us to have assurance of faith. We can have assurance of faith. Look at the heart. Look at these areas and ask God, you know, am I following you? Do I believe? Am I taking what you say seriously and trying to live by it? 
Am I loving? As we close our time, I just want to pray for you and for me. I love, uh, there's, there's a section of 1 John where he talks about uh, that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And he uses the we language. He doesn't say, you guys have an advocate. He says, I, we have an advocate. In other words, John is saying, I still need this advocate at 90 years old. I need Jesus to help me. In all of our lives, we need Jesus. And somewhere along the line, we, we kind of ditched him. We need him vitally every day to walk, to have something as simple as saving faith. We need him. Heavenly Father, I, I lift up uh, our church, and I pray that if we are disturbed, that we find, we, find that we find where we're at, we plot ourselves out, and we come to a place, each of us, where we have assurance of our faith. That we know, that we know, that we know, that we know, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we believe that, uh, that his commands and what he taught is important and, and to be lived by, that we believe that he is the one who, is, uh, who forgives us for our sins and the one who empowers us to live a different way and that we, we recognize uh, the love that comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, I love how your word says, pour your love into their hearts by the Holy Spirit that you've given them. And I pray, Lord, that for your people, you would pour your love into their hearts and that everyone here uh, would, would think through these things, take them seriously, and come out on the other end just fully assured of, your, of the fact that they're following you. They know their hearts are in it. Um, that they might live in peace. They might walk with you. They might find the Savior who is ready to get onto his hands and knees and wash their feet the second they recognize how much they need him. We thank you that you did not come into this world to be served by people, but you came to serve. You came to serve us and to give your life for us. And we thank you that that is, that is love. Let us be more like you in this way. Let us love in this amazing way, the sacrificial way, the servant way, Jesus. We want to be, we want that. Get us there, God, we pray. Pray your blessings on your people today as they go. In Jesus' name, amen.